0: Thanks for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. He is risen. Now what? That's a question I asked myself for many years. He's risen, right? So it's all over. Not really. But now what? So I did some research last week and I looked at what other churches are going to talk about today. And for most of them, not all of them, but for most of them, it seems like once Easter is over, we're done, right? We're kind of done. Climax, resurrection, yay, we did it. And then we go back to okay. Next is Mother's Day, and then what? Then we have Memorial Day, and then we have all the sales on Memorial Day that we need to get to. And then we have Father's Day, and we have the Fourth of July day, another more sales. Then we get finally a break to go to summer and do lots of fun stuff. And then we are so exhausted to go back to Labor Day, where we have another sale going on. And then we go back to church and start all over again at Thanksgiving, Christmas, and so on. Right? Ah. <sighs> Exhausting, right? If that what spirituality looks like, I don't want to do it. <laughs> so now what? What happens according to the gospel and to the acts? What happened after the resurrection? Two major events. Pop quiz. What happened? What happened? Pentecost, Pentecost, right? Which is the Holy Spirit descending on the disciples. What else? Big, big thing. The ascension of Jesus Christ. Correct. So we have two more pretty crucial events happening. One, first of all, is the ascension and then the descent of the Holy Spirit onto the disciples. Interestingly, including Easter Sunday, counting Easter Sunday as well, it's exactly 40 days after when Jesus appeared to the disciples, led them to Bethany, and then ascended in front of their eyes. Ever heard the number 40 before? Right? Right? Those Bible, Bible geeks among you know that 40 is very important. 40 years wandering in the, in the desert, the Israelites. 40 days in the desert when Jesus was tempted by the devil. 40 days, what, what are the 40 days before Easter? Lent. Lent, right? 40 days, not counting the Sunday. So 40 is very important. Actually, in metaphysics, we consider 40 such an important number that we give it a very special meaning. However long it takes. That's all it means. The symbolism of 40, one of them, is however long it takes. So it's not 40 years in the desert or 40 days in the desert. It's not 40, uh, 40 days of repri- depriving ourselves or looking inward to doing something less before Easter or picking something up new, it's not even 40 days after the resurrection until the ascension. It's however long it takes. And that's important because we're all different. We're all different. We're all learning differently. We all grew up differently. We all have our uniqueness, so we all get to experience the Christ, the spirituality. In our very own way. So, 40 is just means is however long it takes. Doesn't mean, or oh, just stay in, on your spiritual couch, potato couch, for however long you want. It means you still need to do something, but it's okay that it may take a little bit more than 40 days, or maybe even a little less. So, ascension 40 days after, and then exactly 10 days after this, the ascension, we have the Holy Spirit descending upon the 12 apostles. Very significant and important events here. And they're significant not because they're written down about one person and 12 more that lived 2,000 years ago. They're significant because, again, even after the resurrection, There's something more for us to learn and to grow into and to understand about our own divine nature. So let's look at the timeline. So we have the time to Easter that takes 40 days. And then I mentioned the importance of the town Bethany a couple of times now. It's just before the entering into Jerusalem. Jesus and the disciples stay in the town of Bethany, which is where Jesus raised Lazarus from from the dead. Bethany has meaning because of that. The raising of the dead in those stories is nothing else than raising us out of being spiritually dead to become spiritually alive again. And then we are ready to enter Jerusalem, which we learned on Easter and on Palm Sunday, it just means to truly come, to become peaceful and to be at peace. And then we have some betrayal here and there. We have the Last Supper, right? And the crucifixion, all, all important, right? And it's all happening within us too. Sometimes we betray ourselves on our own path to learn more of who and what we are. The Last Supper, the sharing of bread, the sharing of the body of Christ, the sharing of wine, the sharing of the blood of Christ, as I explained, has a different meaning in unity. Substance out of which everything exists and the vitality that we need in order to do this work. This all happens then, so we are ready to crucify, to let go of what no longer serves to let go of what we in unity say is missing the mark. In the Bible, it says sin. We say missing the mark, which is, by the way, very close to how the Jewish people interpret sin. They basically say it's not an original sin. It's not such a big deal. It's just, ah, I made a mistake. Let me correct it. And now I move on. And so we must see crucifixion very similarly. In order for us to grow, we must stop making mistakes. And that's all we really need to do. But it's not such a big thing that we cannot move forward. It's always doable. It's always something that is available to us and that we can do. Then we have the resurrection. right? Remember, resurrection is about... Resurrecting our own self, our new self into this world. And then we have those 40 days. Now, 40 days usually, if you read in the various Gospels and also Acts and some of the other scriptures, you you know that after Jesus was crucified, it was a very difficult time for the 12 apostles and for Jesus' disciples. So they were kind of like lamenting about the death of Jesus, even though they knew he was resurrected. They kind of were fearful. Some of them were fearing for their lives because we still had the Romans that are essentially chasing after the people that followed Jesus. So they were in hiding. They were fearful. And there was a lot of confusion because they really believed that Jesus would never die. When Jesus was talking about eternal life, they felt it must be eternal life in the body. They didn't understand that eternal life can look differently, too. It's not just limited to the body. So it took them 40 days, or however long it took them, for them to kind of go through all this, which is very relatable, isn't it? Have you ever done something entirely new? left the job and got a new job because you knew you needed to do something new and you were ready for it. And then it took you quite some time to get used to it. You were still, you were enjoying the new job and yet you were still going, ah, there's some things that I really liked. The coffee was much better. And, uh, that would be me, definitely. Uh, my coworkers were more likable and so on. So there's always when we have change, right? There's usually something that is going on with us. You know, we may be lamenting the old. Maybe we were not the ones who made the choice to break off a relationship or to leave the job. Then it's even a different, a different thing, right? So if we are on the receiving end of a breakup, a lot harder, right, than on the giving end. So it's very relatable that this is happening. And then Jesus appears and leads them back to Bethany. Here is Bethany again. He leads them back to the place where Jesus raised Lazarus. So before entering Jerusalem, before coming to peace, and before ascension, both times the disciples are in Bethany. And that means something. It means that the raising of Lazarus, that the us raising out of feeling spiritually dead has a lot of significance when it comes to us toward the idea that we could ever ascend ourselves. And then the ascension, 10 days wait, and then the Pentecost, the descension or descent, of the Holy Spirit okay so what so far with me by the way you will be glad to know that this is a two-party today so <laughs> um, because there's a lot to learn here and what I wanted to do is I want to you know kind of like remind us again what the Christian point of view is and then move over to some of the Eastern understandings and see if they start to come together so But there is one more thing. What's the one more thing? So we now have the fulfillment of the prophecy, right? The disciples still believe that Jesus is the Messiah. The Jews doubt that, but the Christians definitely say, well, he's the Messiah, first coming, right? So what's missing here? What's the big promise in Christianity? The second coming. Right? The second coming of Christ, the rapture, if you really want to scare the itty bitty Jesus out of you, right? <laughs> but <clears throat> it's, it's the second coming of Christ where we all who believe in Christ, according to traditional Christianity, then are lifted up into the heavens and we get to live forever. Right? And if not, we get to stay here where we are and just uh, what they will call hell. Basically, right? So, in unity, as you know, we believe a little bit differently. We don't believe that heaven is something far, far out in the future. It's actually something we can create today, here and now. The same thing with hell. It just means either we think high of ourselves in higher states of consciousness, or we are really hard on ourselves. So, we can make or break it by either being in heaven every day or feeling like we're in hell in every day. But the second coming is still important because we have this scripture here, again, said by Jesus when they were staying in Bethany, the raising of the spiritually dead. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Now, he... (coughs) It's so often misunderstood that when Jesus talked about him, he was talking about himself as a person, but he wasn't. He was talking about himself as an example. If you do the same thing that I do, if you love the poor, if you don't expel anyone, if you do the works that I do, you will do the same works and greater so, greater works, you will be able to do as well. So it's never about himself, but it's actually giving us a hint that if we live according to his example, we can achieve what he did. So now, St. Paul, then later, 20 years later in his letters, he references the second coming in this way. In Romans chapter 8, verse 10, he says, "'But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin,' The Spirit is life because of righteousness. See how he references the dead body with sin? As long as we sin, our body dies. But if we stop sinning, again, in unity, in Jewish uh, beliefs, not a big deal. If we stop sinning, if we stop making mistakes over and over and over again, then we actually get life. That's all there is to it. And to believe in Christ doesn't mean that we have to be this follower of one person that lived 2,000 years ago. To believe in Christ means to believe in our own divinity, to follow the example of what we read in scripture. And a little earlier in Romans, Paul writes, but if we have died with Christ, We believe that we will also live with him. Again, referencing to sin. If we are willing to crucify our mistakes, to let go of the things that hold us back, to forgive, especially forgive, others and ourselves for having made those mistakes, those sins in the past, then we will reach eternal life. That is the big promise. In traditional Christianity, whoever knows, whenever knows, it comes, right? Jesus says, we don't know the date. We, we don't know exactly when it comes, but it will come pretty fast, and it will come at the right time. In unity, we don't believe it's something that we have to wait for. It's something that we can establish right here and right now. We can allow that second coming to happen right now, by accepting our own divinity here and now. That's all there is to it. So East, that's, that was the West, right? So now let's look at East meets West. So I found this artist, which I thought was just very clever. His name is uh, Yang Liu, and he's a, he's a Chinese artist. And he, he contradicts the um, West with the East. So West on the left, East on the right. This is the line in front of a restaurant. So in the West, we're all lining up behind each other. And in the East, they're all crowding around the entrance. In the West, this is called individuality. Very clear. In the West, we think we're the center of everything, right? like it used to be the Earth was the center of the universe. No. In the the East, we're just part of the whole thing. And then, when it comes to sharing our opinion, in, in, in the West, we're doing it straight up, and in the East, it's just taking a little bit longer, and just going a little bit around, right? I thought this was really interesting to see how differently how different we are from East to West. So it makes a lot of sense that the way we approach spirituality will be different as well. And this is a topic I have brought up before, linear versus circular, because in the West, we tend to think linearly. And in the East, don't I have one more slide? There you go. So in the West, we think linearly from a beginning to an end, right? That's why after Easter, you find that most churches just move on, okay? We're done with that. Let's move on. We got our Easter certificate. I found my eggs. <laughs> I'm done until next year, okay? So birth to death, death whether body or soul, and then the end is kind of like the ascension or rapture, and for some people, the end is resurrection, But in the East, it's different. In the East, we have the eternal cycle, a cycle that never ends. They have something called samsara, which is an endless cycle of birth and rebirth that we are kind of stuck in. So both Buddhism and Hinduism have that concept of samsara. And then, in order to escape that endless cycle of birth and rebirth, Then we have in Hinduism the term moksha, and in Buddhism the term nirvana, both meaning something like awakening or enlightenment. They're slightly different in in Hinduism. The belief is that we, we, we have this illusion between who we are as human beings and the reality of God and us as God. That illusion is called maya. So when we achieve moksha, maya disappears, and then we see reality as it is. In Buddhism, it's a little bit different. In Buddhism, they technically just say, once we are enlightened, we end our suffering. Remember, in Buddhism, it's believed that life is suffering, and we can't help it. So, now we're getting into the topic of awakening and enlightenment and i like to draw something for you to illustrate again why it's important to look at circular versus linear when we think linearly we have our birth over here we have the death over here crucifixion if you want right and then we have the ascension We have the Holy Spirit, and then we have the rapture or the second coming, okay? And traditionally, the way we're taught, it's linear, isn't it? It's almost like we're going through a degree. It's like at birth, we kind of like start college, right? And then we die, we finally got through our first four years, (laughs) So we get a little certificate. Yay, you're dead. You're now ready to move on for a master's degree, right? And so our master's degree then becomes the ascension. And then we we do another master's because we can't help ourselves. And that master's is about the Holy Spirit. And then finally, PhD, yay, rapture or second coming. I like second coming, but rapture is such a harsh thing, isn't it? But it feels like we're getting a certificate because we believe in these ideas of beginning and end. And often we treat all those stages just as such. I remember when I got my bachelor's, you know, I was very happy, I had my diploma, you know, and I said, well, this is it. I don't have to do anything else, right? Not true, especially not true in spirituality. Once we get caught in that cycle of getting a certificate, And we tend to then say, oh, I achieved something, I no longer have to go back. Isn't that the way it is often? Once we have a bachelor's, who gets a second bachelor's? Not many, right? Who gets a second master's? Not many. And very few get a second PhD. We just stay there. There's not a lot of evolution. So what's the difference then? See if I can wipe this out here. There you go. Circle of thinking. If I can go back to it. There you go. Endless cycle, samsara. Okay? And then once we break that cycle, we go to moksha and nirvana. So how are they similar? Well, we can actually take that linear line and we can just bend it up into a circle and guess what? Then it becomes birth, death, ascension, Holy Spirit, second coming, and then it starts all over again, right? If you look a little bit closer to the Christian scriptures, and you understand a little bit about the culture, the history, the time it was written, then you know that Eastern theologies and philosophies are hundreds and thousands of years older. And it's very likely that Christianity and Judaism have been inspired by some of those ancient teachings. But in the West, we prefer a beginning and an end. Whereas in the East, as you could see, that we look at things differently. In the East, we choose life a little bit differently. And so it's more common to think in terms of just a repetitive cycle. So then, once we get to the point of saying, okay, let's try this out. Enlightenment, Awakening, ever heard of those terms? Who is scared of those terms? Anyone? No one? Okay, that's good, right? Because a lot of people find it very challenging to look at enlightenment and awakening. He is risen. Could that be enlightenment? The resurrection? Could it be the same as awakening? What about ascension? Could that be enlightenment? And awakening? The Holy Spirit coming upon disciples. Remember, the 12 apostles are nothing more than a representation of who we are. 12 pieces within ourselves together. What if the Holy Spirit comes upon us? Could that be awakening? Second coming. Rapture. Could that be awakening? What does that tell you? More likely than not, there's not only one, but unlimited experiences of enlightenment. And that's one of the deepest truths that are often not taught, neither in books nor anywhere. Because, again, we tend to think in terms of linear, where we just want to get to the end. Once we are enlightened, we get our enlightenment certificate, and then we can sit back, and we don't have to do anything ever Anymore. Right? Ever heard that? Yeah. So, before we close, I want to introduce to you this book, After the Ecstasy, The Laundry. And so, I'm going to stop here very soon because I wanted to give you the background how East and West think very similarly when it comes to our spiritual growth. And in this book, Jack Hornfield, who is an American author that has studied Buddhism for a very, very long time, he's a Buddhist teacher, he's a monk, and he writes wonderful books. In this book that not many people know, he writes about the experience of actually having an awakening, but then still having to do the laundry. Ever heard of that? Most of us would say, at least in the early days, I was taught spiritual growth, you grow and grow and grow and grow and grow, and then there is a point where you just wake up and then it's all over. All your suffering is over. You have nothing to do anymore. Not true in this book. And if you truly follow some of the great teachers, even of today, you will know that it's more of a circular thing than anything else. There's an infinite way, or infinite, there are infinite stages of enlightenment. It never, ever stops. Which brings me to a Buddhist saying, which you may know. Oh, there's that, there's not point, there's not one, but the infinite stages of enlightenment. As one reaches enlightenment, the suffering ends, that's Buddhist, right? Now, here is the Buddhist saying, I wonder if you ever heard it. So before enlightenment, what are we doing? Chop wood and water. Let's say it together. We chop wood and water. Okay, what are we doing after enlightenment? Chop wood and carry water. Very good. We chop wood and carry water, right? The point here being that life does not have to change. I remember my guru, my Maharishi, telling me, if all of us, we we were on the path to become monks, and he said, if we all became monks, all the seven billion people on earth, everything will collapse, right? We still need platform chairs, we need readers, we need congregants, we need singers, pianists, we need gas station people, we still need all that. We can't just all sit in a cave and all our ways into enlightenment And then the world works, not going to work that way. So this is beautiful because it tells us we will always, always, always have to chop wood and carry water. What changes is our our attitude toward it. Whereas before enlightenment, at least from the Buddhist perspective, we may suffer, we may suffer as we chop wood and carry water. We may get tired. We may not want to do it. We may get up one morning and say, I don't want to chop wood and carry water anymore. Right? But after enlightenment, we're much more receptive to chopping wood and carrying water. That is the only difference. And that, again, is another symbol, another way of seeing that it cannot be linear. It must be circular. It must stay, it must continue on. And if you have a chance to read this book, he gives you many examples on how he, when he was going through these experiences, reached out to his teachers, his gurus, and asked him, How was it for you once you reached the first stage and the second stage? How did you go on? And I, I remember he write it gets more muddy and muddy in how they explain how this works because it's more and more heart that we have to put into it. So for a closing today before meditation, I want to share this story with you. I'm just going to read it from the book because Jack does such a wonderful way of representing how this journey is to become for a student to become knowledgeable about enlightenment and about spirituality. The ultimate end of the koans, which is a term for people who study, might be seen in the following story, a bit of modern Zen humor regarding a disciple who sent his master faithful accounts of his spiritual progress. This is something that Um, I had to do, too. I had to check in with my guru and make sure that he would know, well, here's your spiritual progress. Okay? So very familiar. And so in the first month, when the student studied, he wrote, I feel expansion of consciousness and experience oneness with the universe. The master glanced at the note and threw it away. The following month, This is what the student had to say. I finally discovered that the divine is present in all things. The master, and then the master, seemed disappointed. In his third letter, the disciple enthusiastically explained the mystery of the one. And the many has been revealed to my wondrous gaze. The master yawned. The next letter said, No one is born, no one lives, and no one dies, for the self is not. The master threw up his hands in despair. After that, a month passed by, then two, then five, then a whole year. The master thought it was time to remind his disciple of his duty to keep him informed of his spiritual progress. The disciple wrote back, I am simply living my life, And as for spiritual practices, who cares? When the master read read that, he cried, thank God, he's got it at last. (laughs) So I want you to keep that in mind for this week. And I want to ask yourself, I want you to ask yourself, what if it wasn't linear? What if The practices I do every day, pray, meditate, be kind, be loving, and all that, what what if that never ends? What if I reach a point of true understanding, true awakening, and yet that is only the beginning? I want you to ask yourself, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to continue to chop wood and carry water until the end of your days? Because in many ways, that is the commitment that it takes for all of us to come together as a community and to help heal the world as a community. And next week, I will talk a little bit more about how that's going to look like. So let us take a moment in meditation. So we learned the foundation of a path toward resurrection, ascension, Holy Spirit, and second coming. For many of us who grew up with that in mind, we may be challenged at the idea that it never ends. This is why in meditation we settle. We settle more deeply. So that we can ask the truth, what's been said. 40 days we have prepared ourselves by giving up something or picking up something new. We've raised ourselves from the spiritually dead to enter true peace. We broke bread, we drank wine, And we forgave whatever there is to forgive. And after we rested just for a little while, we rose up anew. A new way of being, a new way of thinking and feeling. Again for 40 days, we sat with that. New way of being and feeling and thinking. And then the Holy Spirit came upon us as the perfect expression of God, God as principle, as infinite potential and possibility. Patiently, we are waiting for that second coming. Not from outside of us, not from someone from 2,000 years ago, but the second coming within us. And then we do it all over again. Letting go. Picking up. Coming alive in you, come to peace. Break bread and wine and chair and be lively. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Always, always forgive, and then resurrect. We come alive as we ascend. And have the Holy Spirit come upon us. And with every cycle we come closer to the second coming as we move through the second coming and find a new stage of it. There's not one but infinite stages of enlightenment. There's not not but not one but infinite stages of awakening. as it says in the Buddhist stories after so many wondrous experiences in the end it's about living our lives and why not so let us close today in meditation with a moment of gratitude let's open our hearts and minds allow the harmony to come to fruition Let's find those things in our lives for which we are grateful. People, situations, things, thoughts, feelings. And let's reach out as far as we can to say thank you in the name and nature of the many teachers that have come before us Let us also say thank you in the name of nature and nature of our true divinity that is just about to burst out from within us here and now. And so it is. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. You just heard this week's message and meditation. For the live streams and more information, go to UnityFortWorth.org.